Good morning. Turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. As you turn there, um, our uh, small group ministry uh, will begin next Sunday. Uh, this, kind of, this is the official when small group year starts. And so uh, we have sign-ups out there for everyone uh, who is going to be involved in small groups needs to sign up for uh, whatever group they're planning to be a part of. And also, for, from now on, uh, the small group ministry of our church will be known as Connection Groups. And that's just to kind of to try to convey uh, more about what small groups is about, and that's about connecting uh, church members together uh, and also to connect them uh, in such a way that they can reach out and connect to the world around them and the neighbors around them. And so I would encourage you um, to do more than just come on Sunday morning uh, and and people just know you by passing you in the hall. Let some people into your life and let you know, let, let them know how you're doing spiritually and, and you can help them in, in, in their walk with Christ. And so uh, please sign up for our Connection Group uh, ministry. And there will be a, a meeting uh, after this service of our small group, uh, of our Connection Group. Uh, it's going to take me a while to get used to that. Our Connection Group leaders, uh, our assistant leaders, uh, will, be, will meet in the... Uh, in the Membership Matters room uh, immediately following this service. Uh, so we're in Philippians, and we just started in Philippians uh, last week. We looked at the introduction uh, and how Paul uh, has a huge connection with the, with the Philippian church that uh, what has happened is he's in jail, uh, some type of probably house arrest. Uh, he's apparently can still have guests, and so the Philippians sent a guest uh, to him to check on him, to bring him a care package. And so what Paul is doing when he writes this letter is he's responding uh, to their concerns, letting them know how he's doing. And so uh, we looked at kind of uh, the setting and, and what was going on uh, last week. And, and now we're going to get into the body uh, of the letter. As Paul is going to say here, I want you to know. Okay, that, move, that means that Paul is moving into the body of the letter. He's past the introduction, and this is what he wants the Philippians to uh, to know a very common phrase in the letter writing of, of Paul's day. And we're going to see this morning, as, as Paul begins the body of this letter, we're going to see the priority of the gospel, uh, particularly in the life of Paul and how we can learn to, to make the gospel a priority in our own lives. Here's what it says, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here, for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And what we see here and what we'll unpack uh, this morning is Paul prioritized the advancement of the gospel over his own suffering and his own pride, okay? 
what Paul valued, what he put as number one, is the advancement of the gospel. They wanted to know, the Philippians wanted to know how Paul was doing. Paul wanted to let them know how the gospel was doing. So the first thing we notice is that Paul is more concerned with the gospel than he is his personal suffering. Paul uh, has a robust theology of suffering, and it, it makes sense, right? We look at Paul, and he's a guy who faced imprisonment uh, as he's in prison right now. But not only that, he's been beaten. Uh, he's been left for dead. He's been mistreated in about every way someone could be mistreated and still live. In fact, at, at one time he says, I bear on my body the marks of proclaiming the gospel. So, like, you even look at Paul and you see the scars of a life given over to preaching the gospel. And so, Paul had to embrace a good and strong and robust theology of, of what it meant to suffer. And what Paul did, he didn't necessarily... Uh, embrace suffering in and of itself because suffering is is bad suffering is a bad thing suffering is a a result of being in a fallen world that's why there will be no suffering when christ comes and establishes his kingdom fully on this earth suffering will be no more because it's a bad thing but what paul uh we see in paul's life and in his letters and his theology is is the belief that 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 suffering, what, what comes from that suffering, is a good thing. That it, it strengthens his faith and others' faith. That it makes God look glorious that someone would be willing to endure the kind of suffering that Paul uh, is going through. And it's just Paul entrusting himself to a sovereign God. A God that is in control of Paul's situation and knows that no matter what evil is meant or done to Paul, that, that God is going to work it for good because Paul is a man that loves and follows hard after God. And that's exactly what we see Paul doing here as he writes to Philippians. We see that Paul's suffering had exalted Christ among unbelievers what verse uh, 13 says so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard uh, imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for christ the first advancement that of the gospel that paul mentions is the advancement among unbelievers that were in charge of imprisoning him uh, we don't know what all who all was part of this crowd but likely the soldiers that were firsthand uh, there uh, guarding Paul and probably some of the higher-ups that were in charge of, of having put Paul there. Uh, but Paul uh, is saying that it's become known to them that I'm not here because I killed somebody. I'm not here because I stole something. I'm not here because I really did anything wrong other than preaching Jesus Christ. He said that, that Christ is being exalted in the people that are imprisoning, imprisoning me. And I love Paul's example here. It would be so easy when you find yourself in prison to just check out for a while, right? To, to just maybe even get embittered in, in the situation that you're in. Hey, I've been beat up for the gospel constantly. I'm just going to relax here in this house prison or wherever he was. I'm going to 
just try to sleep uh, and, and rest, maybe write some letters to some churches, um, but, but kind of take some time off while I'm in jail. And that's how bad Paul's life was, that, that possibly being in jail could have been a time of taking, taking things easy. But what, what do we see in, in Paul is, is an awareness that there are guards that don't know Christ around him, that there are politicians that have put him there that don't know Christ. And so Paul continues to exalt Christ. He continues in, in gospel ministry. Paul remains aware of his surroundings and that there are souls around him that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no vacation in Paul's life from gospel advancement. There are only new settings and new situations for for sharing Christ. He, He would preach Christ while in prison just like he preached Christ as a free man. And we, in the same way, need to realize that there's never a, a, a vacation from gospel advancement, that we should always, every day in our lives, no matter what situation we're in, we should be desiring to see the gospel advance in our lives and, and to the people that are around us. Paul's suffering had emboldened believers to preach the gospel. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now this is peculiar to me. Why why would Paul's imprisonment embolden people to preach Christ, which is what put him in prison? Like, how does that work? Like, like it would make more sense if, if it, we would see that Hey, everything's working out. Paul's getting out of jail, and it's okay. And, and so now we can, we're all emboldened to preach Christ. No, Paul, and we're, we're going to see this next time we're in Philippians. We're going to see this, that Paul had no idea. He had no idea how this was going to end for him. In many ways, he, he seems to suspect it could very well end in his death. And so we find people that in the midst of that uncertainty and Paul's imprisonment, being emboldened to preach the gospel like Paul. When someone suffers like Paul, not only uh, suffering well, but actually maintaining joy through the suffering, it inspires. It inspires people. It, is not, it does not necessarily make the, the, the suffering look like it's less suffering. It doesn't necessarily look make things look more threatening or, or less threatening i mean the threats are still there the imprisonment man it's it's as real as ever because paul's in prison but what it does is it makes christ look great as they see that paul sees christ as worth suffering for that christ is so big that he's so amazing it doesn't matter what happens in, in this life, I can have joy in Christ. And, and they see, hey, this is a man that went from persecuting the church to joyfully suffering for Christ. Man, this Christ must be the real thing. Let's go preach about him. Let's go tell others about him. We see this in history with the martyrs that those during the Reformation who were who were publicly slaughtered, okay? So, so the, 
the, the idea was these, these people that are preaching the gospel and translating uh, the Bible into the common tongue, and hey, we need to put an end to them, so what we're going to do is violently kill them in front of everybody. And so many of them were burned at the stake. That was kind of the favorite. And what they found were these martyrs were, were going to the, the stakes that they were going to be burned on and kissing them for the joy to be able to suffer for the mighty Christ. What they found were people not being drugged to the stake to be burned, but walking up to it, stepping on uh, in the oil that would consume them, standing up straight and quoting Scripture and continuing to preach the Gospel. And what they found was the crowd was not terrified they were emboldened they were clapping not because they were glad that that this person was being killed they were clapping because of the amazing joy and enduring joy that these martyrs had for the gospel they begin to see to applaud how big and amazing god is so much so that they had to quit publicly doing it because it wasn't helping it was emboldening people so we see throughout history that when when we suffer well that when we cling to christ that people are inspired to follow christ We see that Paul's suffering should inspire us to use our suffering to advance the gospel. We will all face suffering. Many of us are in a seat, probably in a season of suffering right now. Realize that, that there is a God that loves you and that is totally sovereign over the situation that, it, that, is, uh, that you're in. And there's reason to hope in the midst of your suffering. It's also good to think in your suffering about how can you exalt and advance the gospel in the midst of this thing that you're dealing with. As people are watching, maybe watching you suffer, how are you going to advance the gospel and cling to Christ through it all? That's not to say that you must rejoice in the suffering itself. That does not mean that, that you can't hurt and let others see that you are genuinely hurting. And folks, it doesn't give us a right and as over, over someone's uh, dead, uh, the body of someone's dead loved one to, to begin to, to throw out soliloquies and, and, and deep theology in that moment when that needs to come later, that in that moment they just need to be hugged and told that you love them. But it is to say that through the tears and through the uncertainty and through the pain, let us all hold on to the sovereign God who is working all of that for our good and for the advancement of God's kingdom. And that's what Paul did here, and that's what we should be about as well. Paul, we see, is also more concerned with the gospel than he is his enemies. 
in verse 15, Paul continues to talk about the advancement of the gospel, but he speaks of it in terms of how it is being advanced by his enemies. Now, um, I'm not sure Paul, Paul didn't really call them his enemies, but they probably would have called themselves enemies of Paul. Paul kind of refuses to take that stance, and he says, they are on my team because they are preaching Christ. These men were likely in the same city that Paul was being held prison in, prisoner in. And verse 18 speaks of, it speaks of pretense. And so it's very possible that these men believed something about Paul that wasn't true. And they just couldn't let that go, and they just refused to believe uh, the truth and just decided that Paul was, was a man uh, that was not good. And so they wanted to torment them in their own way. But Paul prioritizes the gospel above himself, so their, their efforts to afflict Paul didn't work. We see prioritizing the gospel causes us to care more about gospel advancement than personal advancement. Now, I want to say some things here about what's happening here. I think it's important. Paul is not saying that the motive of the preacher is unimportant. Okay, he's not saying that it doesn't matter why the, the, the preacher preaches. Uh, we see in, uh, if, if, you, uh, if you want to look it up in First Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, we'll, you'll see that Paul takes great care in laying out his motivation for preaching the gospel. So if Paul's going to take 12 verses to establish his motivation. We know that Paul cared about the motivation of preachers. So he's not saying that that's unimportant. What he's saying, basically he's humbling himself in this moment to say it's not about me, it's not about attacks against me, it is about the advancement of the gospel. And I think we also need to think about is that if, if the gospel was being advanced through men that were kind of being jerks and, and had bad motivations, imagine what the gospel, how the gospel could have advanced if they had pure and, and, and God-guided uh, motivations. And imagine what these men could have could have done for the kingdom if it hadn't been so much about hurting Paul. And Paul is not saying that the theology of the preacher is irrelevant. We must understand that whatever their motives were, these preachers were at least in Paul's estimation, and Paul seemed to be a pretty good estimator of a preacher and, and the gospel, under his estimation, they were preaching Christ. They were preaching the true gospel. Paul had no problem in calling out doctrinal error anytime. Anytime he saw it, he would call it out. Against Judaizers and Galatians, he let them know uh, how, how there was a false gospel that was being believed. He even confronted Peter. Uh, in public and publicly confronted Peter because of some things that Peter was doing. He was not at all afraid to say, hey, those people aren't preaching the true gospel. And so we see here that in this situation, if he would have seen a false gospel, he would have said something. But it wasn't a false gospel they were preaching. It was just that their motivations were to hurt Paul while they preached the true gospel. 
The text is not forbidding the calling out of false teachers. Just, just because someone names Christ does not obligate us to cheer them on. If their teaching does not contain the true Christ and, there's, uh, and they're not advancing the gospel, we should not cheer that ministry and that preacher on. In fact, it may be very well necessary for us to criticize that ministry. Just because someone names Christ doesn't make them above criticism because there's many that name Christ that, that know not Christ. But Paul is saying that if the gospel is complete in preaching, then the secondary issues should take a back seat. Maybe you don't like the style of a preacher. Maybe he's too loud. Maybe he's not loud enough. But if they proclaim Christ, you should root for them. Maybe someone doesn't check all of your theological boxes. Well, I don't, I don't like that. They, I don't like that. And they, they, they don't check all these boxes. Do they check the gospel box? Are they preaching the true gospel? And if they are, you should root for them. You should cheer for their ministry. Emmanuel Baptist Church is in the process of of moving a mile or so down the road here. And if Paul can have zero competition and say, hey, these guys are jerks, but we're going to root them on, so much more should we root a church on that is preaching the gospel and being led by not a jerk, but a very godly man in Jimmy Meek. There should not be an ounce of competition no matter where churches are located, that should not be our heart. We should be partners in the gospel. And, you know, there are plenty of lost people in Eldorado to go around. And I haven't heard anybody say anything about competition. Um, so I'm not, I'm not preaching anybody in particular. I'm saying that, that our hearts need to be, man, we're so thankful that, that, that God's opening doors for them and and great things are happening at Emmanuel. We, we cheer them along as with we do every gospel-preaching church in El Dorado. If Paul can, if Paul can preach, you know, uh, cheer on people that hate him, then surely we can preach people that, that don't hate us but love the gospel. It's our privilege. Prioritizing the gospel renders our enemies powerless over us we see in verse 17 that the desire of paul's enemies is to afflict him but does it work verse 18 what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice no it doesn't work they want to hurt him they want to afflict him we don't know all that's going on paul's not real descriptive here of all that they're doing to try to hurt him. The point is they don't hurt him. In fact, he remains joyful in what they're doing because Christ is being proclaimed. In Paul's eyes, the gospel was so big that no man could harm him as long as the gospel was advancing and doing its thing. The guards did not intimidate him. He simply preached Christ to them. His enemies wanted so badly to make Paul sad or angry, but they couldn't do it because even in their belittling of Paul, they were advancing Christ. And so Paul was like, yay, awesome. 
Keep it up, guys. They were probably pretty annoyed by that. How often does a fear of man hold us back from advancing the gospel? We see a great moment to share Christ with a friend, but what will they think if I bring up Christ? Will they think I'm a fanatic? This would be a great time for me to share Christ, but what if I don't get it right? What if I don't do it smoothly? What, What will they think of me? What would you know, my Christian brothers think of me if they heard this presentation of the gospel? And we, 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 let, we let man rule our hearts in, in fear. Instead of saying, man, it's about God. You know, man, is, man is big in our lives and God's small when it should be the reverse of that, where God should be so big that any man in our life seems small compared to knowing God and making him known among people. If Christ would be exalted in our heart as it was in Paul's heart, man would be powerless against us. Prioritizing the gospel also gives us an unshakable joy in a world that seeks to harm us. Just like every September we do, we... We hitch our joy to a bunch of 18-year-olds with a football, don't we? Despite our hearts being broken almost every year, I guess unless you're a Bama fan, you hitch your joy to LSU or you hitch it to the Razorbacks. And... It never goes well, does it? Only one team, only one team's going to be the champion. Everyone else is going to, at some point in the season, have their hearts broke. Sometimes early in the season, I sometimes prefer it be early in the season, just get the heartbreak over with. And are waiting until the cupcakes run out and then realize the team's not near as good as you thought. But at some point, you'll hopes will get dashed even man, even a Bama fan you know can't win it every year as we learned last year and why why sports illustration well I mean that's that's where a lot of our hearts are at this time of year and um, the reality is is that anytime we hitch our joy to anything that's foundation is in this world it is unsafe and it will eventually fall apart it will eventually crash and burn. But the gospel, that's sure. That's something that, that God has promised that will advance until his coming. The, the gospel advancement is something that if we, if we put all our joy and our hope in it, it's going to win. It's never going to lose. It's going to always do what it's intended to do. And that is to save lost souls and spread the glory of God. When our joy is found in the advancement of the gospel, our joy is unshakable. We wake up every day in a fallen world that seeks to destroy our joy. Whether it's circumstances or people, they seek to steal our joy. What did Jesus say in, in John 16, 33? 
in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's won. Therefore, your joy is safe when you put it in him as Paul did. If we would cling wholeheartedly to Christ and those sufferings, those sufferings become instruments to give us indestructible joy and to advance the gospel. We see that the Philippians desperately wanted to know how Paul is doing. They want to know how, he's, how Paul is doing. They want to know how hard his bed is. They want to know, hey, how's the food that they're feeding you? You doing all right, buddy? How's it going? This is rough. Tell us about it, Paul. But that Paul doesn't speak at all about how he's doing, about the food, about the bed, hard bed he's sleeping on. He doesn't. He speaks of how the gospel is doing. How many of us live our lives worrying about how we're doing? Worrying about the negative things in our lives. And we give very little thought, maybe on Sunday, to how the gospel is doing. How the gospel, the good news of Christ, is advancing in the world. We are to put gospel above self. This is how we as Christians should all be living. The gospel above self. We may never, like Paul, spend one moment in a jail cell for preaching the gospel. But rest assured, we will all face suffering. And in that suffering, lost people will be observing us. Christians will watch us. The question is, will we make Christ look supreme? Will we make Christ in our suffering look like something that non-Christians would want? And in our suffering, would we let Christians see that, that Christ is worth preaching, that he's worth he's worth taking risk for, he's worth doing the hard things for because of his wonderful gospel. We all, like Paul, will face detractors. We will find people that seek to intimidate us. Will we allow fear of man to cause us to cower in gospel responsibility or will we rise up with an unquenchable joy that only comes when we abandon ourselves for the gospel. God is calling us this morning to self-abandonment for the sake of the gospel, to put the gospel above ourselves. And in doing so, we will not lose ourselves, but we will find ourselves in the fountain of unending joy to give our lives to Christ, which will never, ever fail. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and we're going to have a, a time for you to respond to how God's speaking 
to you through His Word this morning. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you don't know this gospel that, that, that God sent His Son uh, to live the life we could not live and, and die the death that we deserved to appease the wrath of God so that we might be reconciled to God. If you've never believed that and trusted that for your salvation, uh, I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're uh, just a Christian and, and you haven't placed the gospel above everything else. You haven't placed Christ above everything else. And you need to be more like Paul and to exalt Christ above your own comfort, above your own fears of man, but to live a life that, that calls for gospel advancement. Let's pray. Dear only Father, God, thank you for Paul's example. God, it's only through the, through the blood of Christ that we can come close to that kind of priority of the gospel. God, help us. God, speak to our hearts through your word. Help us to respond. God, help us to think about our week and think about the opportunities around us to put gospel above self. God, move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.